I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now, here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is show number 439 for June 11th, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about a bunch of different things. Edge banding router bits, boxed beam construction, our contributions to the woodworking world, to pre-finish or not to pre-finish, drill press speeds, epoxy pouring tips, should you buy a domino, and in-ground floor uh, dust collection, which I added in later and I, I didn't write anything down so that's why i'm stumbling that's a lot of stuff it's all emails man oh, it's the second oh. show i really packed like it in in ground toenail that sounds uh yes it is <laughs> I, I recommend seeing a podiatrist for that okay so let's just get right into emails i mean we got a bunch here and this is okay. gonna be good so it's here all, we go it's all we got so yeah it's all we got baby otherwise we could just sit here and just uh chat about life and talk about my dog if you want, that's literally what we're going to do anyway. Okay. I was going to do some Instagram photos of the poop that Kenny just dropped in the front yard. You totally should. Yeah, what it's going to be a new thing. There's like the Instagram like food pictures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dog poop pictures. Hashtag uh-huh. uh, poop Fridays. Yeah. That'll be good. Hashtag oh, yes. Yeah. Fart Friday. Uh, okay. So the first one here we have is from uh, Leonid. I don't know how to pronounce this dude's name, but I know I, I see his name around all the time. How do you pronounce that? Leonid? 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 Leonid. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. He says a uh, question for poops. McDomino uh, edge banding router, butt set. And I think he meant bit set, but I do like butt set better. I don't see them being used much. Are they worth the effort? So if you're not familiar edge banding router bit sets, there's a few different varieties here, but essentially you're talking about a two piece set. Uh, think of like a V notch kind of situation. So you take the edge, you take one bit and it's kind of like a, a sideways, what would you call that? It's like a V it's like a V groove that's sideways. So you're actually cutting into the edge of the plywood and creating this little V groove on the edge. And then you make the male of that with the other bit. Um, and you are, this is all kind of router table work. It's, it's pretty much 
probably one of the only safe ways to really get that done. Uh, so then you have this uh, almost interlocking shape that allows you to put edge banding on. Now I've seen variations of this where they not only have that V groove in there, but there's also a little nub on the end that kind of gives it a little bit more of like a, a, a tenon effect and it goes even deeper into the ply. So he's saying that he doesn't see these things being used very much and um, I guess wants to know why. I can't speak for everybody, but when I look at anything like that that requires you to run along a piece of plywood and any long pieces like that, I'm always hesitant to to use something like that because number one, plywood is never a consistent thickness. It's always up and down. Uh, getting it set up in the first place is tricky, but just because you get it set up on that one sample piece doesn't mean it's going to stay like that over the course of a long piece that you do the routing on. Things could move up and down and it just, uh, it feels, it feels like it's overdoing a very simple thing because ultimately putting edging on plywood is actually a pretty quick and easy thing to do. And it's not something that receives a lot of stress. So I've never been worried about edging like falling off. Um, it's usually held on there pretty strong, even just with glue. So to me, I, I, this is one of those things in woodworking that's there. I guess there's probably a few people who maybe swear by it and love it. Um, but I feel it's way more effort and, and also tooling than you, than you would normally need to accomplish that same task. So have, I'm curious, have either of you ever even used one? No, nope. Yeah, I mean, I haven't used them and I haven't seen anybody use them, but I see them for sale. You know, as you're talking about this, like if you wanted some kind of like joinery thing there, why don't you just use a spline at that point? It's so much easier. Just cut like a groove in the both pieces and spline it up and you get basically the same thing. Effectively the same thing. You'll probably use less wood in the process. It'll be, you know, you can use a slot cutting bit, which is going to be useful for more than just that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's why, because it's kind of redundant in that sense. If you're going to do that, there are other ways to get that job done. So anyway, I thought it was an interesting question. I haven't thought about those bits, those little bit sets in a while. Uh, but now that he mentions it, I don't see anyone using them either. Yeah. Huh. This is from Chris. He said, I've been following Shannon's hardwood clad glue lamb beam build on Instagram. That's a mouthful. I was going to say, <laughs> say that five times fast. <laughs> hardwood clad glue lamb beam build. <laughs> I'm currently in the process of building a Doug fir workbench and uh, considered that a hardwood overlay at some point might be an option if I feel like an upgrade for the cost of only a few four-quarter boards rather than the expense of a full hardwood bench. Current top is five and a quarter inches thick, so I could always router the top to re-level or remove material from the legs to keep the height consistent. I thought differential movement between the species and grain could be an issue, but it seems the beams are built exactly the way the same principle and boxed in. So what do you think of the concept? And are there any particular attachment issues you took into account with the beams that would be transferable? Brought this up because I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I knew someone was going to ask this question. Um, here's the thing. First of all, the we used veneer uh, adhesive and a vacuum bag, which gives you possibly the strongest glue bond you can get. 100% pressure over, you know, 100% of the, the surface at, you know, ridiculous pounds per square inch using the atmospheric pressure. Um, we used a thin Sapili veneer. So the strength and movement properties it has really will be overridden by the strength of the giant beam that is the substrate. 
Second of all, we took into account the grain direction. So on the flats-on faces of the substrate, we used flats-on veneer. And on the edges of the substrate, which were quartered faces, we used quartered veneer. So the, the movement differential from tangential to radial was accounted for. Third of all, the movement difference between Douglas fir and Sapili, while it is there, it's not that much. And really, from one species to another, you're not going to find massive, massive changes in the, the tangential or radial movement. Maybe a couple of percent at most. It's um, not to say that wood doesn't move differently, but essentially what we've done is glue the sapula to the outside so that it, it, it might as well have just grown that way. Um, it's moving in concert with the Douglas fir underneath it, and it's just really not a particular issue. We also did not specifically did not use miters on the corners because miters will open up with, you know, the tiniest bit of movement. We used butt joints and flushed them up. We also knew that there was going to be, um, they're going to be 20 feet off the ground, first of all, but there's also a show face. That was the face that was lapped over the other butt joint. So you would have to climb 20 feet up in the air to look at the beam from the side in order to see that joint. And even then I thought we did a pretty good job of, of covering that up. So, um, Yes, there is a slight differential movement just because of the species. But if you take into account the grain and you, you, you know, try to match it with what's underneath it, you should be okay. I question whether the whole thing in the first place is even necessary. Like, this seems like a lot of extra work to clad a Douglas fir workbench. Douglas fir is a perfectly strong wood for a workbench. I don't know that I would go to the extra effort of putting hardwood over top of it. Hmm. I don't see that that would add anything at all to it. It's interesting. So if theoretically he did go through with this and I'm assuming he has his wood oriented in a way that gives the quarter sawn face is kind of the face of the workbench. Let's say he were able to attain some quarter sawn four quarter stock. Would that be the way you would advise him to go with that? Yeah, I would do my best to match because where you will see a big difference is obviously if you had a, like a, a quartered substrate that maybe has 2% movement mm -hmm. and then you put a, a flat piece over top that's like six percent tangential movement yeah well i mean even then that's only four percent yeah um and and you know what the and and i would recommend not putting a four quarter board over top of it um i would i would plane it down a little bit thinner than that um not veneer thin but i mean we use three eighths inch veneer um, plenty of thickness to allow us to do any of the, the planing and belt sanding stuff we needed to do to, to cover up issues with the flush trim bit. Um, and, and it's going to give way to, what did he say? Five and a quarter inch thick Douglas fir underneath. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just don't. And, and I mean, I think the better you can get the bond so that it is moving in concert, you don't have voids or anything in the glue so that there's, so that it, it, it's allowed to kind of slip and move underneath it would be good, but I don't know. It just seems like an awful lot of work to improve quote, improve a workbench mm -hmm. um, when it's probably just fine as it is. Hmm. I'm standing in front of a Douglas for joinery bench right now. Works just fine. Well, what do you know? Yeah. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, I think you're up. Yep. All right. It's from Bob, our friend Bob. Hey, Bob. And us cool stuff, like fun messages mm -hmm. to read. All right. As the three of you 
That's us. Grow your businesses. So does your notoriety. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Do you look forward to contributing more to the woodworking community at large? Has it become necess- a necessary evil or something other? We need another Norm Maloof and Nakashima. P.S. How do I get autographs, photos of you? If I only had the three of you watching over me in the shop, I know I could do much better. <laughs> Bob, we only do boudoir photos. That's right. Oh, boy. I'll send you one of those. I, George I do Costanza have photos here I can send you. We have Bob's address. I can send him a photo of myself. I've got, I've got, I've got a photo. Um, I think we only give those out on like Patreon levels. Nicole insisted that we do it, and it's really un- uncomfortable every time I have to sign one of those, but um, I have them. But Bob's a good guy. takes better photos. I could send you a picture of my dog. That's much better than a picture of me. Yeah. I'll, si- I'll send you a picture, Bob. We'll, we'll get that done. Yeah. You're supposed to answer this question, too? Maybe. Only if you want to. I was I was busy reading. I wasn't actually, like, you know, comprehending. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of a out-there question. Like, Yeah, I guess it's a little out there. I, I don't know. It, I think I'm – I don't know what you guys, but I'm, I think I'm still kind of far out from that point where my notoriety actually has something to speak for itself, I'll I guess. Say. I, I don't know. You guys feel it differently? About where you're at with your notoriety, I guess, if you have any. <laughs> I, I honestly don't even think about it. No, I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, like the Maloofs, the Norms, the Nakashima, these are the, the rock stars of, you know, our generation of woodworkers. Um, where we fall in line with that, I don't know. We probably won't ever know. It'll be something you'll find out after we die. And then people go, oh, this person was so influential. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know that we'll ever know. All I know is we're part of something pretty cool and it's fun and we have a good time doing it. And if people are learning and I get good feedback from people who say they're learning, then we're just doing our part. I I, I never really think about it much bigger picture than that. I, I wonder if it's even possible to create a new woodworking rock star with so much white noise and so many players now. You know, and, and, and this is not even just woodworking. I mean, television, like there is not a chance I could ever watch any of the shows. Like anytime you go out to dinner or talk to somebody, oh, you should watch this. I saw this on Netflix. I mean, there's just so many options and everybody's been able to find their little tribe, you know, and there are heroes within that little niche. Mm-hmm. And I think that's as big as it's ever going to get, you know, um, and, and you found your people and you become the little hero in that tiny little niche. And there's no reason to really grow beyond that, um, nor is it even possible because the people in other niches aren't paying attention to the grander picture. They're paying attention to their own little their own little bubble. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when you look at Norm's influence on things, it's a very different age. Norm wasn't on Instagram, um, you know, trying to make a go of it, you know, getting sponsored by earbud companies. And uh, he did ask me what glue I like once, though. Oh, did he? Yeah, that's good. He he likes that uh, that interaction. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. That organic interaction, um, you know. So this is a guy who basically was on PBS television, a, a U.S. specific thing, and then people would go online when when it became a thing and say, "Oh, do you watch Norm?" And like everybody watched Norm um, within that community. But things have expanded so far beyond that, and I think you take that initial audience and and look at the total grand total of people. There's so many more people. But you're absolutely right. There's all these little verticals uh, that people are hanging out in and not necessarily peeking out. So, so yeah, there's those individual heroes. There are people who 
think you're crazy because you've never seen a Duresta video, right? But then there are yeah. other people who go, I have no idea who that guy is. Just depending on who they watch and wh- what they want to look at, they don't know. But the guy's got over a million subscribers on YouTube. I mean, I saw a uh, article. Oh, I don't know who it was, but stupid crap shows up in my news app. Um, <laughs> but there's an article about this guy who remixes like Disney songs. And he did something with like, he had this, I don't know, a homophobic like tirade that he put on, which was really out of character for him. Um, but I'm looking at it and it's an article in like a fairly legit publication. And the guy has like 700,000 subscribers, but they're treating this as if like this world famous major star has suddenly done this horrible thing. And I've never heard of the guy before, but I'm like, wait, there's people in our community who have more subscribers than this dude does. You know? So it's, it's a very interesting thing um, with the way media is presented these days. So it's, it's really hard to nail down who's influenced by what, who the rock stars are. And, and I guess maybe it doesn't matter. And that's probably a good thing. All right. What do we got next? Me? I think so. Sure. Uh, let's see. This is from Speg, which is awfully close to Spag. I think, you <laughs> might, I think I may have to send you a cease and desist on that. Uh, he says, do you recommend finishing before or after assembly? It seems it would be easier to finish many flat boards, but I fear glue squeeze out may become a problem. So here's my rule of thumb for this. I try to re- to pre-finish if possible. What screws me up, and this is part of setting an example for other people, um, that I kind of get into trouble. I'm curious if you guys do this too. Sometimes re- uh, pre-finishing can be problematic from a presentation standpoint. So, oh, yeah. Right? So I'm right it, in the... It definitely messes with the story. Yeah. And and people can understand it. They're capable of understanding, oh, we're doing pre-finishing now. But if I'm three quarters of the way through this project, it's really difficult as a storyteller to say, pause, let's do finishing now. And then we go back <laughs> to the woodworking stuff, especially if like, let's say you're putting a case together and then things need to be applied to the case later. So there's still actually more wood cutting to do. So most of the time in my videos, I will only do a pre-finishing if there's no post-assembly woodworking that needs to be done. If there's post-assembly woodworking, I tend to just say, no, screw it. We'll just do all the finishing at the end because that's when it makes sense to do finishing at the end. Uh, So what I actually do in my videos and what I would preach to people might actually be two two different things because I do think pre-finishing is really effective. It saves you a lot of headaches. Um, You're worried about glue squeeze out. Well, one of the great things about it is you've got finish on there. So if you squeeze out some glue, a damp rag is going to wipe it away and it's gone and you don't have to worry about staining and stuff like that. So I highly recommend whenever it's feasible to pre-finish. And don't necessarily do, if you're watching one of my videos, don't necessarily do what I do just because it's a cleaner presentation to say the finishing happens at the end. That's one of those things. When, I forget what week it was. I think it was a couple months ago. We were talking about like, do we work differently because we make videos? Yeah. I think that that's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a real I actually had I had another one that I thought of like, I think a couple of weeks ago. Like It came to me finally. I use markers like pens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like you so that they never can be seen. use a Sharpie on your, in your woodworking stuff in your shop. They like just you grab your mechanical pencil or whatever. Yeah. They, the camera can't see that. So my hair and drawing in pen, like dovetail layouts always in pen. Right. Because the camera can see it. Yep. Those little, uh, the ultra fine <laughs> Sharpies are perfect for yeah, that. I actually mm-hmm. keep one of those in my apron. Yeah. I use yep. it so much <laughs> for true. that reason. That's a real good point. Yeah. Today we're going to use a giant, uh, toddler pencil. 
<laughs> That's what we should start using. <laughs> I used to have one of those. Uh, I've got great. I've got one of those like novelty pencils from like a you know, like a Six Flags or something like that. Yeah, it's like yeah. three inches in diameter. I'm going to start using that. You should absolutely. You got to use two hands to write. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right. This is from Nar. Uh, hey guys, I've been trying to catch up on past episodes and up to episode 157. Man, you guys can talk. True that. And I have yet to find the answer. So here is the question. What's the deal with speeds on a drill press? I know I want to use a slower speed on things like metal or if I'm using a larger bits, but what about different woods? Is there a recommended speed for specific woods? I have a 17 inch jet floor standing unit that has variable speed. Um, the type that I lift the lid and change the belt position. Um, but I'm unsure about the right speeds for the task. Any insights would be great. Thank you and glad to hear you guys again. So, oh, I actually had a chart when I had a drill press um, that gave me, you know, speeds based upon the diameter of what I was turning, the bit that I was turning, the hole that I was trying to cut. Mm-hmm. And that would tell me, you know, what what belt to um position it on and I actually like stuck it on top of my Delta drill press. Um, and it was just always there for me, but there was other information in there about metal cutting. You need to slow things down. Um, but there was never anything about wood species, although I could see that in extreme examples, like if I'm cutting Ipe or cutting lignum vitae or maybe even, you know, hard maple to, you know, butternut, there's a pretty dramatic change there. Um, so I, I suppose, but I doubt you're going to find any kind of rule of thumb. You know, hard maple needs to be cut at this RPM because, um, again, it depends upon how big the bit is um, that you're turning, um, how deep the hole is, is it through hole, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the answer, at least the answer I would use in my shop is, is it smoking? <laughs> <laughs> do I see smoke? No, I do not. <laughs> is is it smoking as you're trying to drill is it, does the you know is the feedback from the quill what's not the quill the little knobby thing that you pull to advance the quill whatever the, the handle, handle. <laughs> you know the feedback it's a very technical that, term is, <laughs> you know, um just you know what i mean when you're using yeah. a drill press and i was like ooh, that doesn't feel right Something, that doesn't something's sound right. off that doesn't stinks right. literally that stinks right now because it's smoking and burning something's wrong you know, I either need to decrease or increase the speed or I need to see if the bit is dull, um, something along that line. So yeah. I, I do think that there are rules of thumb for diameter of bit and the speed of the belt. Um, but everything else, I don't think you could find apply a rule of thumb to it because it's just going to have to be a, a gut check and an experiential thing. Yeah. You know, there was a lathe that I was set to review. They sent me one and it was not a keeper. It was just here, check this out. And I I didn't review it because I I really just couldn't identify with it. I didn't understand the need for what this thing could do for at least the work that I did. And it was the Nova DVR um, (laughs) drill press. So I think it's called the Nova Voyager. So this was an early release that wasn't even on the market yet. Had this thing in the shop And I was just like, this is kind of doofy. Like I can't, the way I use a drill press is way too utilitarian. And this thing has amazing capabilities, including telling it the material you're using, the size of the bit, the type of the bit, the depth that you're going to be going. And it has a computer that adjusts everything for you. 
and it tells you what the RPM is and it just, everything is just automated on this thing. Uh, I mean, you still have to pull that, that, what do they call that thing? The handle. Um, <laughs> you still have to pull the handle. It feels like it should have some fancy name. It really should. <laughs> it, maybe it does. Maybe it does. The um, feed handle. Yeah. That thing. The feed lever. Or but, something like that. But it was just, it, it is an a will manipulation uh, device. That, there you go. The upper downer. Um, <laughs> that's it. So it, it was absolutely amazing, but it was so much overkill for, for what I expect out of a drill press that it was almost too complicated to use. I would never sit there and dial everything in on this little pad. Excuse me. Um, when I'm used to just firing it and going and, and I do exactly what Shannon says, I go, Oh, there's a problem. Maybe I should adjust something. And then you know how many times right. I've adjusted the speed on my drill press in the last three years. <laughs> Yeah, especially because mine was the same way. Like it, it, you had to shift the, be- the 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 belts around. Like you had to, yeah. to loosen the thing, and you could pull the motor like in to take up some of the um, take off some of the tension. It was a pain. Yeah, <laughs> it's like well, fortunately, the one I with have my, with my lathe, my it, powered lathe, it's not variable speed other than having to change the belts. Uh, so right. How often do I change? And the that's speed a huge on pain. That? Well, even now, because I used to have that kind of model, the one I have now, the uh, new Powermatic, is just a handle. So I loosen it, and I can, you know, while the motor is running, I could shift the belt. I haven't touched it. Have not touched it since I bought it. So it's not to say that you can't get better results if you do you know, nitpick about this stuff, but it, I will say that you get passable results by not even worrying about it. So, you know, I certainly don't want a, a computer to really micromanage the whole thing, but it, if you're into that thing, maybe different materials require that type of precision and wood is just one of the things that you cut. Um, th- this, this Voyager, um, Nova Voyager is insanely advanced. Very cool stuff. Okay. Who's what now? Me? You? Where are we at now? Oh, it's back to me. I think. Oh. No, that's Wait, Matt. It's Matt. What question, Matt? <clears throat> it's for you. Uh, the resin one? Yeah, the resin one. Okay. Yep. All right. From Greg from Sydney. It says, Mr. Cremona is making resin tables. Table, only one table. I am interested in applying epoxy <laughs> finish to a tabletop. I have read various, various discussions on what to finish a timber with prior to finishing, well, prior to applying the epoxy. Apart from being clean of oil, dust, etc., do I paint on initial coat of epoxy before the flood coats, or do I do I fish the timber with polyurethane or oil or nothing? So this is kind of interesting because I actually had never really done an epoxy like finish before, except like once maybe. Yeah, yeah I think I did it once on a tray just to waterproof it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing that they're talking about finishing it first as a seal coat so that the wood does not absorb all of the epoxy into it. But uh, I probably wouldn't care, and I would just apply the epoxy and let it soak in as much as it wants to, I guess. Especially if you're going to be doing multiple coats anyway. But if you want to seal it with something, you could seal it with, I'm thinking probably anything, really. Epoxy sticks to a lot of stuff. Um, Maybe nothing super, like, varnishy, maybe? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't stick to a lot of things. (laughs) Good question. Was no, I don't know because I, I have polyurethane on my assembly table and the epoxy sticks to that pretty well. Pretty I sure it would stand stick it off. Yeah. I would look at this like the outdoor furniture sort of situation where we do pre-seal with CPES. Because I think if, if you're doing that epoxy finish, if that thing starts to really suck it up, you wind up getting bubbles 
you know, I think you would have you would be fighting bubbles a lot more if you didn't do something to pre-seal. And what better to pre-seal with than just a smaller amount of the same epoxy? That's probably what I would do, I guess. Just give it some epoxy, paint it on. That's one of the options, right? Paint on initial coat epoxy yeah. before a flood coat. There you go. And I would have to imagine <laughs> whoever the manufacturer is probably has some pretty good instructions for, you know, surface prep prior to the the final pour. It's not like bar top stuff usually, right? Yeah. yeah that that's kind what of I'm stuff, thinking. yeah. Fun stuff. Poxy resin, all the rage. Oh. <laughs> all right. So we've got two, <laughs> two more here. Um, <clears throat> I guess I'll read this one real quick. Um, who is it from? Oh, shoot. I didn't put the person's name there. Hey, guys, I'm going to be selling off some tools that have been collecting dust. I've been wanting to buy a bandsaw for a long time, but now that I'm going to have some money to spend, uh, the idea of getting a Festool Domino is very tempting. I know it depends on a number of factors, but for your average woodworker, would you recommend a bandsaw or a domino? I have a table saw, a jointer, and a planer. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Can we beat this dead horse some more? <clears throat> Listen, we're going to beat this dead horse with a slightly different shaped stick, okay? <laughs> a domino shaped stick. Yeah, it's going to be assembled by a series of dominoes. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Dominoes. <laughs> so I, I, I selected this question, not because I like to answer... <laughs> whether a bandsaw is better than a domino. Um, well, could you domino a domino just while I'm thinking about it? Those yes. big dominoes. Could you domino one of the big dominoes with a little domino? Absolutely. So that you can stack a bunch of big dominoes together to make a domino stick. In fact, when they first came out, I believe that was one of the demonstrations they did was to domino dominoes inside oh one God. another, like a, like Russian dolls. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool because it's that. I'm that gonna accurate. get a domino. Well, <laughs> two dominoes just for that. Just yeah, for that. So uh, you know, here's the thing: bandsaw or domino. It's like, do I want pasta or Mexican tonight? Or, <laughs> or maybe you want Mexican pasta. I don't know. But mm, fusion. Yeah. So it, it's it's so there are two very different things. You know, if you need what a bandsaw does and you don't have that functionality, then I'd say get that. If you have other ways, which it sounds like you do, to make mortise and tenon joints, then maybe the bandsaw is the more versatile choice. But if you're finding that things are limited in your shop because you're not able to produce mortise and tenon joints fast enough and all your curve cutting you can do maybe with a handheld jigsaw, then then the domino is a good choice. So it's very dependent on your situation. But I included this because it's definitely something that's on my mind lately. And I've had this, I have had this like struggle with the domino since I've owned it. And it's the... Uh, again, talking about how content affects what we do, um, the sort of backlash that occurs when you go, all right, I'm just going to domino this over here versus the respect, quote unquote, that you get when you do it the old fashioned way. But then I think, you know, you also get to a certain point where, like Shannon says about his planer, he doesn't need to prove to anybody that he can flatten a board <laughs> with hand planes. <laughs> he just has a job that needs to get done. I start to feel like that 
about mortise and tenons. You know, if, if I'm actually inclined to use the domino and I'm okay with it, I don't care. I think it's going to make a perfectly fine joint. Um, but I'm not doing it just because I, because of the reception, it's, it's a struggle because I really do want to use the domino. It does speed things up. And I don't, I certainly don't have any shortage of videos showing how to make a mortise and tenon, be it loose or integral or whatever type you want to make. So it's something that I was thinking about with this executive desk build, which actually is domino heavy. Um, you know, I wonder how many people think about this and when they make that choice to adopt the domino and completely stop worrying about regular mortise and tenons because you just don't need to worry about them. It's so much faster. And I mean, on this executive desk guys, it's, it's going so much quicker than it would have if I had to do a more traditional joinery on there. Things like parts of the project that I expected to take days just don't because this is the first time I've done kind of a top to bottom, uh, domino powered <laughs> domino powered project and it's moving so much faster, which ultimately means I can make more content and do it quicker. So I don't know what it like, is there a point that, well, Shannon, you're in a whole different class because you're doing things. <laughs> you're doing things even way harder than I would even do. I'm on a special oh, man. Class. I'm I on can't a short wait class. for Shannon to get a domino. I can, I've really proven I can cut more than tenons. Yeah. <laughs> what do I need? I, I should just use the domino now. So like Matt, chisel. You know, what's funny, though, is it actually would be a major hindrance for me to have a domino What? It, because I've gotten to the point now where when you're doing everything by hand, flat is so not necessary. It's all about reference surfaces and things. But like I don't do I don't shoot in grain. I don't. Why do I care about in grain? Like I lay out. Say you've got a, an apron on a table. Mm-hmm. I don't shoot the end of that exactly the way, I, you know, exactly the length. Because what's important is the shoulder of the tenant. Yeah. So I mm. use a square. I get a reference edge. I use a square. I scribe a shoulder, tenon shoulder, and I measure from that tenon shoulder to the next tenon shoulder, and I scribe a line there. Who cares what the end's like? Yeah. But a, a loose tenon, a domino, requires that end to be accurate yeah. because that's your reference surface. That would <laughs> totally screw me up now. Well, you just I have, have to, to – uh... I mean, I've got a shooting board and everything, but – in a power tool shop where you can make a cut on the table saw, you know, or a compound miter saw, whatever you're using to do your cross cuts, and you've tuned it right and you know that that cut is going to be dead on, the domino is great. Yeah. For me, it would actually make things more difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a real good point. You just have to get a table saw like a real man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. I really put it by hand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and I, don't want, I don't want stupid Craig tracks. I want epoxy poured blue <laughs> Tracks. Ooh, that'd be nice. Um, so, so Matt. Matt, how do you how do you feel about this in in terms of because l- l- let's be honest, the the domino is woodworking easy mode. Oh yeah, right. How do you like? How do you resolve in your mind? I'm going to purposely do this a more difficult way, even if I have this you know thing that I could use instead that would make it a lot faster. I don't know. There's some like entertainment value to it, but I think when like when I started making videos like that, that landscape was a little different. It was, I think it's still what you were used to Yeah. where you pulled the domino and people started shaking their heads <gasps> and walking away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now it's so common and a lot of people, it's, it's, there's more tolerance. A lot of people for have it? it now. And people, so people have it. They want to see it. They're more tolerant of it. They yeah. finally understand this concept that, Oh, I don't have a domino. Let me look over here and see how to cut a mortise and tenon some other way. Because it's still a mortise and tenon joint, the whole project doesn't fail because you can't use a domino. There's other ways to do things. I think maybe that's starting to like 
that realization is finally starting to become more mainstream. Like yeah, yeah. I don't have to do it exactly the way this person has shown me every single time. It's like I can mix and match and choose my own methods to get to the same finished result. Well, and especially when you have people who have content out there for the last five years, 10 years where they've covered these topics. And ultimately do you need to see someone joint and plane and get all that detail in every project video? No, of course not. But if they've covered it at least once before, you know, those bases are covered and now they could focus on the stuff that's new and unique to that project and not focus on the thing that you've seen a hundred times. At least that's, that's, that's if you're, that's if you have an audience member that's been with you and actually watches all your stuff. Well, they should. That's what real <laughs> fans do, man. But I mean, I as, disagree with that. <laughs> but as a, uh, you know, a consumer of this stuff, I would hope that if someone saw something and, and, you know, wanted more information that they might go look for it. And and find no. oh look Matt did a video on how jointers work so now yeah, that's I don't, a joke right that that is the ongoing joke you're, you're kidding right <laughs> it, but it should be I'm telling you this is how it should be oh yes should be yes absolutely yeah, I wish it was like that you would go to the back catalog you would go to a little search area you would type yeah. in what you want and the video you're looking forward pop up right there that's it. Okay so uh, let's see last question we have here is from Rick Urschel. I haven't heard from Rick in such a long time. Rick, how you doing, man? How's how are, he bakes pies? Last I've seen him on social media, he was baking pie. I want pie. Looked really good yeah. too. I haven't had a good pie in a while. Uh, okay, so he addresses it to Kunkels, Shaggy, and Show Choir, <laughs> <laughs> which has all kinds of confusion all over it. Um, we had a debate on whether he meant Knuckles, but then Kunkels. I had to look it up and it's like people who have really big oversized knuckles like Neanderthal knuckles. And I don't, my, my knuckles are fine. I don't know what's going on here. Let us know what you mean. Maybe, right? maybe you're sure. Maybe you're like show choir or something. There's no way. Shannon is show choir. No, I don't think there's any debate on that. And Shaggy is very <laughs> I clear. I am proud of my show choir. Monitor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my hair gets a little messy once in a while, but I am no Shaggy. <laughs> That's definitely Matt. Uh. I guess Look, the elimination process is sound. I'm going to take the Kunkel's moniker and enjoy it. Okay. So Rick says, my wife and I are in the process of designing our dream slash retirement house. And the architect designing the house, who is also a woodworker, asked if I wanted in-floor dust collection. At first, I thought this was a terrible idea. What happens if there is a clog? What happens when I want to move all of my equipment around? Then I realized that in 10 years, I've been running my current shop. I've never had a clog and I've never moved any equipment. The thought of not having a ceiling full of ductwork, as well as all the vertical pipes running from machine to said ceiling has me very intrigued. I've amassed a pretty solid collection of machines over the years, and I haven't added anything to the system in about eight years. So I think I'm pretty set on what my future needs will be. I'd love to hear your opinions on the subject. Looking forward to not hearing this question since y'all are quitters. <laughs> well, we'll show you, Rick. There you go. We're answering it. Um, you know, when I had the opportunity to do something like this, I didn't. And part of it was because I was unsure about my layout in such a space. I wasn't sure where the tools were going to go and I didn't want to commit. Um, that said, even having like a main trunk going through the floor could save a tremendous amount of effort. You could still move the tools and have them branch out. Hold on one second. Mateo, I'm in the middle of recording. You need to go, dude. Now I got to edit. <laughs> now I got to edit this thing. Go find mom. Go find mommy. Okay, go. Oh, she put Neva down. Okay, well, I'll be with you in a minute, but I can't help you while I'm recording, pal. All right, your underwear are backwards. 
Okay. Love you. Show title. <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Maybe I won't edit that out. No, I don't think you should. Um, it wasn't disrespectful at all. You're good. <laughs> but I, I was afraid to really commit because of the locations. But then over time, you know, I started to realize, well, you know what? I kind of, the layout I thought I was going to have is a pretty good layout. And I didn't really change things from there. So, you know, Rick being into this for as long as he has, has a pretty good setup in mind. He probably can put this on paper and have a pretty close setup to what he, you know, would consider ideal. I actually am starting to think it's probably not a bad idea. And when you put these things in there, you have cleanouts and you have access. And what's the worst that would happen if you had maybe a 12 foot run of ducting that had a clog? Well, what do you do when it's clogged with poop and stuff from the house, you know? <laughs> Why are you putting poop and stuff from your I'm house? Sucking up poop. I'm thinking about plumbing. <laughs> You're supposed to pick that up. Plumbing. Not, no, 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 no. You're plumbing in the sewage, right? It gets clogged with poop. Or, or, or your, your kids. into the floor sweep. your <laughs> bathroom. But you have ways to like rotor root that stuff. You can, you can, you know, you could fish wire down there. You could do whatever you need to do to kind of just unplug it. And like he said, it's probably not going to get clogged anyway. Um, but you can definitely have periodic cleanouts as access points if you needed to. Uh, so I, I think if you're if you're comfortable with putting your layout in what you consider your ideal layout, then I'd say go for it, man. Because he's right, not having pipe and stuff. Not uh, it is nice to know that you could change things very easily. But shoot, I've been in this uh, shop for a year and a half now, and I have not made a single change to that dust collection system since I've been here. So I, I, I know say, a couple people with in-floor dust collection. And I think the coolest part is, is that usually the dust collector itself is also not in the room. Right. So, so it's, it's quiet. super quiet. It's kind of eerie, actually. Like you just hear this kind of like shushing sound. It's yeah. like, oh, look, there's things sucking through that hole down there. Right. You, know? you just it's hear just the air kind of it. on. You don't hear the roar of the, um, you know, the motor somewhere right. else. It's pretty cool. I know a couple of industrial shops that do this as well. Mm-hmm. And they're dealing with you know, 15 inch pipe, large volumes. Matt, if you were, uh, you're, you're moving soon. If you have a situation where you could build a new shop, would you, would you hope I'm moving soon? You hope that's the rumor. Uh, would you be putting that ductwork in the, in the floor? Um, depends what kind of shop I make or I build. Um, I'd like to do a two story shop with the wood shop upstairs. So I would have the option to do it very easily without having dust collection pipe in concrete. Okay. It would just be like in the ceiling of the basement. Right. Or the ceiling of the first floor or whatever. Whoa, 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 whoa. Step back. Why do you want a two-story shop? Uh, on a hill, so I have like a walkout. So you have the same foundation size, so you can get okay. more square footage within the allowable accessory structure foundation size. Or, you, uh, square so you can put size, in a sliding pole, Mark. That's what it is. That too. <laughs> Obviously, it's going to be a pole for some use. Yeah, so you can oil up and throw on some man glitter. <laughs> <laughs> swing down the pole. Oh, so, why, I, we knew it had to go there. Bring up, bring so up a pole on this show. Are, are we talking yeah, about so something or being danced on? <laughs> so with the slope, you'd have ground access on both levels. That's correct. That's okay. Ideally, in my in my ideal case of fancy land, that's yeah. what it would be. Yes. Okay, that makes a little more sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, but you know, who knows? Sounds good. Well, Rick, let us know what you decide because it is a big commitment, but I definitely think even minimally just your main runs and stuff uh, through the floor could just save a lot of headache and a lot of uh, a lot of visual space in the shop. I mean, when I think about how much 
the pipe in my shop occupies in the ceiling, it's pretty industrial and pretty ugly. <laughs> but it'd be nice to not have to see that. Okie doke. Put in a drop ceiling. Kunkles or knuckles? Kunkles. I'm going with kunkles. Uh, all right, so we do have a little bit to talk about with regard to stuff we hate today. It's going to be Shannon's stuff, so let's get to it. The internet is a big, big blaze. Some stuff is good. Some stuff is great. Some things really suck. And that's the stuff we hate. Stay away from that sucky stuff. Let's keep the internet great. Oh, yeah. All right, don't disappoint me. What do you hate this week, Shannon? Can you hear me dancing? <laughs> I can see it in my mind. Awesome. Awesome. So what do I hate this week? This actually goes back to last episode um, when I was talking about the um, Paloina logs. And um, <clears throat> I, you know, I posted pictures on Instagram and did a little Instagram story thing and asked people what their favorite glue was just because they know that it drives Mark <laughs> crazy. <laughs> But in every instance, I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm, my goal here is to build some chairs. To say that I got hate mail is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> the number of people who called me nasty things because you don't build chairs with anything other. And, and again, post and rung, ladder back, Appalachian style chairs. You don't build those with anything but oak or hickory, maybe hmm. ash maybe ash if you're weird and <laughs> i was just so taken aback and i had people tell me that i am the biggest idiot and really should learn more about wood and i i think i know a fair <laughs> amount about wood i'm pretty com- comfortable in my knowledge of wood species and and wood geekery um to to say the, that the no, irony there oh it's okay um so it just brought up a bigger issue. And, and I said this on the last show that in part of me does agree. I think Paloina will be too soft for this, but at the same time, what's the harm in just trying something and just giving it a shot? I was shocked by the number of people who just said, don't waste your time. Don't even try to do that. And the reasoning when you press them, well, why not? Have you tried it? The answer is never. Yes, I tried it and it failed. The answer is this is how it was always done. This is the species that was always used, so therefore that's the way we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. That I hate. That's the stuff I hate. And I've had this conversation about wooden hand planes. You know, oh, um, you, I, I need to find some 12-quarter beach because I want to make some hand planes. Well, have you looked at this species? No, it's got to be beach. Well, have you looked at No, it has to be beach. Well, why does it have to be beach? Well, because that's the best plane-making wood. But what now? <laughs> like, have you looked at the stability of beach? Beach is actually quite unstable when it comes to when you look at the percentage numbers. And the fact of the matter is, in the 18th century, when they were building wooden hand planes in England, beach was everywhere. It was the species that was most easily t- obtained for this stuff. And yes, it, it's hard that that helps. But it's 2018. We have access to a plethora of wood species from all across the globe. And you look at a guy like Phil Edwards, Philly Plains in the UK, who's building a lot of his stuff out of tiger wood, Goncalo alves. It's a decking species, a tropical decking species, and it's self-lubricating. It's like twice as hard as beach, and it's much, much more stable than beach. And you can't tell me that beach is now a better wood. But no, that's the way we always did it. So yeah. therefore, this is the way it's going to be done. And that just drives me up the wall. Like we have 
a lot of information at our fingertips to make educated decisions on what wood species should be used, what joinery techniques should be used to make that the strongest way. And nine times out of 10, you will see people doing something the same way. Now, there may be merit to that because that is, you know, what's the best way to join the corner of a cabinet? Well, dovetails are pretty dang good at that. There's other ways, but nine times out of 10, you're going to see some dovetails get used because it's really strong at it. But man, it just bugs me that I'm actually verbally attacked for (laughs) daring to think that I could use a different species of wood to build a post and rung chair. And, you know, let's look at the fact that the wood was free. (laughs) I got lots of it. So maybe I'll do it. Maybe. And part of me just wants to build a chair just to spite people. At this point. <laughs> yeah. I think so you, I, I have to imagine you have us like, it is interesting to think about our different audiences and who, oh, yeah. you know, is paying attention hand to tool users are mean. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I mean the hand tool users in general and a lot of, you're going to have a lot more traditionalists in, in your camp. Most of the time, if I post something for a lot of the people who are watching my stuff, or at least the people who are commenting and communicating, they're probably seeing that wood for the first time. <laughs> like, and they're not in a position yeah. to tell me what I should and shouldn't do with it. In your case, you got a lot more of the old cranky turd. Guys. But I also had a lot of people who'd never heard of Palowina, but okay. it wasn't Oak. And oh, that's okay, what you build right. chairs out of. Yeah. I had that conversation too. Cause I, cause I, I've had, cause I personally, I think Palowina is a fascinating species. It really shouldn't be the way it is because it grows so fast. Mm-hmm. And then I had people telling me, well, old growth is better. Well, actually, no, that's wrong. <laughs> when it comes to hardwood species, old growth is actually brash and rather brittle because you've got more pores lined up in there. You actually want a faster grown tree for this particular application. Softwoods are exactly the opposite. But there were lots of people who had never heard of the species, and all they knew is that it wasn't oak and it wasn't hickory. Yeah. And everybody begrudgingly admits that, well, hickory is a little bit harder to get now. You can't get them in bigger trees, so we, we go with red oak or white oak. You know, But you know, Palowina, I don't know what that is, but it's not oak. You're yeah. wrong. It's just like, okay then. <laughs> Matt, Maybe you you're right. To- Maybe it won't make a good chair, but you know, somebody's got to experiment. Somebody's got to try something, and I need an answer more than that's the way it was always done. So I actually, I I reached out to a couple of people whom I trust about this and just said, look, what do you think? You know, um, and so far the answer has been, I never tried it. It's worth a shot. (laughs) So there you go. What do you got to lose? I can get behind. Yeah. It's interesting because I think it it really does depend on where, where you're at and, and who you're talking to. Because what I tend to see a lot of, is a lot of people who are not paying attention to the old stuff. And what I mean by old stuff is just like the traditional way of doing things. So I may see people doing just that kind of like, oh, this is what I have. I'm just going to do this because this is what I've got. And I don't have a rule book that I have to follow. So I'm just going to try it. And that's kind of like a lot of what I see out there. But there's definitely a segment of the audience who thinks things should be done of a very specific way. <laughs> and they'll, yeah. let, you, they'll well, let you know and, when you don't. And, and it's most definitely my market. (laughs) These are your people, Shannon. (laughs) These are my people. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, which is one of the reasons that the hand tool school community is a happy, friendly place because we don't have a lot of those people in there. Yeah. We can talk about hand tools and not fear of it being judged. There you go. You ever, ever have anything like that, Matt in your travels? My travels. Nah, no, I mean, I do, I do some weird stuff and it's in, in my own world, I guess, but no one seems to like 
uh, take issue with it, I guess. Well, how about this? Now, you haven't posted the YouTube video for your outfeed table yet, right? Not yet, no. But when you do, and I know you've posted a lot of pictures, you get a lot of tongue-in-cheek, like ball-busting, about the fact that you use that live-edge slab for the top. I wonder how long it's going to take before you get the first truly annoyed person who is really upset that you use that super valuable live edge slab and put that on your outfit table. Oh, I'm sure I already got one. It's coming. Yeah. If it hasn't come already, it's on its way. I mean, I, I get that. I get, I'm, maybe I'm just used to it now. Yeah. Or I kind of get that sort of thing from people. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, but I'm like, it was a piece of firewood. It was a firewood log that I cut with a chainsaw in my backyard <laughs> yeah. for Thanksgiving three years ago or whenever it was. Or right. two years, I don't know what it was. For fun. It, I don't know. People, people, I think the, one, the, the ones that people have problems with, like the way that I do things, just that's why I get things done. I might not necessarily have the best way of doing things. This is more like with the lumber stuff, especially like with moving and material handling. I'm like, yes, I can go. I can get some kind of crazy track thing, like a loader or something. But like, I'm on a quarter acre. I don't do it that often. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the fun for me is just figuring out how to do it without the proper equipment. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But I still get a lot of that. So I'm, I guess I'm, I'm jaded at this point. Yeah. I expect it. <laughs> you kind of have to be to survive in this world, which is why I'm having trouble surviving in this world. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not jaded to the negativity and it's uh, it's, it's, it's a problem for me. Uh, all right. Well, that's the stuff we hate and let us know what you hate or if you know, Hey, give us ideas. If there's topics that you think we might hate too, <laughs> we're happy to talk about them. Oh. I got a quick one. Oh, you do? Do you need more time? You got to fill some more time? Uh, Not really, but go ahead. Oh, (laughs) never mind. No, it's fine. Let's do it. Go. This one's one's kind of one of the things that bothers me from time to time. Like, with people online and, like, the whole moniker thing, put your actual name somewhere. Like, (laughs) if you have a website where, like, it's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Like, what, I don't know. Like, the backyard woodworking extravaganza and you have like an about page and it's all written about you and your name is not there anywhere yeah but it's oh, that's funny. like a personal thing i'm like yeah. what is your name don't make it hard from? for me to know what your name is like if i it said like, the wood whisperer and i then called myself kunkles i guess but like <laughs> even on on yours don't you have like your name in the description or something of, of course on like your instagram yeah yeah i'll, I'll double like, check you like I mean, he usually introduces your. You, I just changed tense like six times. <laughs> you usually introduce yourself like I'm Mark Spagnuolo, the Woodworth. Yeah, or something in my, in like my that. content. Usually, well, or there's a lower third or something like that, right? Well, here's the thing. I'm looking at my Instagram profile and I do not say my name. I just my name is Wood Whisperer. Well, and maybe I, it's on your website though. Like I get that a lot for my. So what we're saying is projects. Matt hates you. Oh, my about page for sure has yeah, my name. But like, if if you go to your website and your name isn't there, and you have an about section that has like your whole story. But your name isn't there. Yeah. I don't know what your name is. So this happens like it doesn't happen a whole lot, but when it does, it's for viewer projects. So I always want to have like the name of the project, like what it was, and who it's by, like their actual name. And sometimes like I cannot find the name. Like their email is whatever at their domain. And it's, it's not their actual name. They don't put their name right. in the description of their don't sign their name anywhere. They go to their website, and their name's not there either, but they have a whole story about their life. But it's not like their names in there. I'd have to imagine. I just need your first name. It's just just like a silly oversight. Like I can't imagine it's intentional, especially if they're giving info about themselves, you know? 
I, I guess, but it's like <clears throat> something you might want to think about, I guess. Yeah. Here's a here's a friendly reminder. Put your name somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> good advice, Matt. Try. Good stuff. All right. Well, there you um, go. unsolicited advice slash stuff we hate. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. So uh, I love the, the sheer volume of negativity that that segment generates. <laughs> that's why we can't do it that often. We don't want to be those guys. But, you know, if there's something legit to talk about, let's just, you know, we'll put it. I, in know, there. I feel pretty good right now. I should probably do this <laughs> like, just from like a mental health standpoint. It does kind of help. Again, that's why I'm negative a lot of times on my Instagram stories. I try not to be, but it's a it's a means of venting for me in in, oh. in some way. Anyway, all right, Shannon, give them the contact info. We'll get out of here. All right, you know the stuff we hate. What do you hate? Write us and tell us. Send some negativity our way. Yay. We need some help getting Mark more jaded. So <laughs> use yes. your voice memo app and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and write out your comment and tell us all the stuff you hate. Go to our Instagram at woodtalkshow and tell us the things you hate. Do the things that we've told you we hate so that we can then go, <laughs> see that right there. We hate that. Yeah. Thank you for your support. That would be wonderful. <laughs> How about don't do any of that? And, uh, <laughs> and we'll see you next week. <laughs> that sounds good too. Even better. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.